we were in negotiations. Investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. What's up everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast where we provide the education you could build on. I am your host, Kevin Amalsh. Now this podcast is different than anything I've seen or done because we don't only focus on real estate investors and investments, but on the content creation behind that. We wanna help real estate investors and real estate influencers make more money. Now, if you like what you hear, or maybe even if you don't, do me a favor, trying to grow the channel, follow us, give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. Speaking of friends, I have one with me today. Mike, I am so thrilled to have you on. You don't know this, but you are one of my idols, like one of the people I really do look up to. Um, so I cherish our relationship, even though we don't get the ch chance to see each other and interact all that often. Uh, but you've been doing this thing for 20 years, about the same time as me, but your career's taken a totally different path. Hundreds and hundreds of um, investments, mostly down in Colorado Springs, um, huge portfolio, lots of free and clear properties, lots of cash flow an amazing life. I want to hear more about it. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> so uh, usually, I know I did a little intro there for you on your behalf there, but um, usually we'd like to ask the guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. So take me back, like take me back before real estate investing. So maybe 21-ish years ago and, and, and tell me how you got going. Well, I mean, to go way back, uh, I, I, I have a business degree. That's kind of where I started in college. It took me a long road to get there, um, you know, kind of self-paid as I went. Um, I mean, the good news was I didn't incur any student loan debt uh, till the very end, uh, but uh, it took me like nine years to get my bachelor degree because I was kind of in and out, in and out. So, um, you know, in 97, I graduated um, and my, my, my first goal after getting a, a career path started was I wanted to move out west. Um, a, another college buddy of mine had taken me out to the Rockies and I just kind of fell in love with the west. And uh, so that was goal number one was getting to Colorado. Um, once I got here, um, I was kind of a business degree, but I was riding the, uh, the kind of the IT consulting salary wave uh, until that crashed. And I always kind of had the bug um, just due to a, a, a crap guy known good friend of mine since i've known since third grade um he started buying well his dad started buying properties you know when we were in high school and i kind of saw that and then sean started buying properties and and holding stuff as you know kind of a side gig and that was just going to kind of be my path i was going to do my it job i was going to you know make money doing that and then i was going to buy some rentals and hold them as a part of my you know my long-term retirement goals and uh kind of after the salary wave crashed in IT and all these jobs were getting outsourced to, you know, other countries. And I was like, I mean, I was scared. Uh, I'm in Colorado Springs. We're a military town, lots of military contractors, but I, I don't have a military background. I did not have security clearance. And I thought a lot of the people that were going to get laid off where I worked, uh, like the first people picked were going to be the ones that had security clearance, which I didn't. So I kind of started looking at real estate more as something more than just a, a real a retirement vehicle but as a, as a as a business model and uh 
you know, I floundered around at first. I started going to, um, you know, back in the day, uh, Bill Bronchick ran the Colorado Association of Real Estate Investors. And, and I mean, I think that was a, a huge blessing to me because Bill, uh, if anything, he's really, really good at explaining the legal side of it and doing it in a way where, uh, you know, somebody like me can understand it, you know, from the legal standpoint, like how the liens, the mortgages, the deeds of trust, like, you know, all these creative real estate tr structures work. Um, that was hugely beneficial to me. And that that was definitely something that I clung to and, uh, you know, started buying his courses, other courses, going to seminars, and it just kind of took off from there. And uh yeah, it's been in, two, let's see, 2000, 2003, I was ready to quit my job. And then, but we were on our insurance and we uh, we were pregnant. My wife was pregnant with our son, Josh. So I had to ride it out until he was born in 2004. Um, and, you know, I didn't know it, but I had FMLA. So I had like three months or maybe it was two months. I don't know. I had a month or two to basically get paid and see if I could make this real estate thing work as a full-time venture. And, uh, and, and it was great. You know, I, I, during that little vacation, I went to a couple of marketing seminars and I, I went from, you know, kind of a one to two deals a month to three to four deals a month. And then was able to just kind of pick up the pace over time. And the more I learned about marketing and, and better I got at, at sales and like finding the opportunities I was really hunting for at, uh, it, it took off. And then uh, my wife terrified the crap out of me a year later and decided she was going to quit her job. So there was, there was no more regular paycheck. Um, but, but it, it was a, it, it, I mean, ultimately it was a blessing to, to have my wife in it with me uh, was, was a fantastic, uh, fantastic thing to go through, you know? Um, and, and maybe my son will be interested. I don't know. I think he, he, he's enjoyed some of the benefits. So <laughs> sure he has. We'll, we'll see where he ends up. Yeah, because you guys live a pretty amazing life. I see that on Facebook and some of the things you're out there doing and playing and having having a ball. And not everyone can work with their wife, so that's that's pretty cool too. Yeah, we we tried to stay out of each other's way. We we had our individual roles, and and I did my part, she did her part, and you know, um, neither one of us take constructive criticism from each other very well. We've we've had to work on that, um, but but we we've done well. You know, like we we knew the destination. We didn't micromanage the you know the the route uh so to say so so you said fmla i probably should know what that means but i don't so what, what is that family medical leave something or another it was a benefit from my corporate job where basically it just said you could take a leave of absence after you have a child and you could basically oh, have have a I, I just thought i could take the time i didn't know i was actually going to still get my paycheck so that was an even that was a better bonus but i was going to take the time just so I didn't have to necessarily burn the bridge and, and quit. Um, but uh, I kind of spaced it and and I didn't realize my time was up. So I kind of had to go back to work for a few days and, and give my notice. So. <laughs> so you come back from your leave. Oh, it was and, and gave your notice. Totally sucked <laughs> to have to go back to work. I I did. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't want to be a total jerk and like just not show up without any notice. So. Yeah, but that was probably a tough conversation, right? Because you're just getting back from not being I, at work. I politely and I, I and I had a I had a couple of good bosses. Um, you know, I had a local boss, and then I had like kind of a I guess I don't know a 
career path boss in Kansas City. And I got along with both of them, but uh, I politely uh, told them their uh, man- their services as my manager were no longer required. <laughs> Is that how you said it? I did. I, I basically <laughs> fired them. Uh, That's slightly. Uh They probably got a kick out of that, too. Uh, they did. Actually, my boss reached out to me later and asked me for some real estate advice at one point. And uh, actually, uh, several people that I worked with uh, have have asked me over the years on on real estate advice. Oh, I'm sure that's true. You know, I, I talk to a lot of investors, as you know, and I get interviewed on a lot of podcasts. And, and, and the question always comes up, like, how'd you get going? Like, what'd you read? What are the books and all of that? And, and Rich Dad Poor Dad always comes up, right? I mean, that's kind of the staple. Um, you you had your own like real life rich dad sounds like Sean's Sean's dad huh I I did I mean, I mean like it would have been a different book but I mean it was very similar you know my dad my mom and dad both had regular jobs and then uh, my friend Sean who was funny he was like the you know kind of the the typical C student really smart but didn't you know school wasn't where he thrived um, and he um, it, he basically struggled to get through university like he didn't get the full business degree he got a little lower degree but he was also bought a business right out of college like he was always good with his money his dad was uh, a business guy no you know no college started a carpet cleaning business started a carpet sales business you know he'd build them up sell them off build them up sell them off and then he started doing real estate and you know uh i, I was too young to really understand the mechanics of it but i could see it and i'm like you know the gears started turning and then i had a couple other college buddies and like at, at one point one of my friends lived in a rental that his dad owned and uh you, you know it just you start seeing these examples over time <laughs> sorry that's all right Dash it into my desk here um so you know those seeds were planted, uh, but I would say Sean and and Sean's dad were definitely the uh, the early influences that that really planted the seed that started growing for real estate. Did so? Did his dad like help mentor you, or is it just you just learn from just observing? No, I mean I I mean I saw what he was doing. I mean I and, and I guess and then I saw what Sean was doing. Like Sean started buying. Um, you know, distressed properties. And uh, like the first property he bought was this, um, you know, I grew up in a little town, you know, small town, Ohio, and there were all these little towns and Wilmington was the place where we all hung out and, you know, not to date ourselves, but we went cruising. (laughs) That was so- (laughs) They still do that, you know. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, he bought this little colonial house that was chopped up into five units and as he would get a vacancy he would go in and you know sweat equity renovated it and and uh you know raised the rent slowly over time and you know he had that thing paid off in like five years and then he bought um you know bought some you know i think sean was always like a a fantastic negotiator and completely indifferent but like his next property that i at least the one i remember was a duplex that he bought from a doctor and it was dis- distressed, you know, it, probably bad tenants. And it was a train wreck. I saw it after Sean had kind of gutted it. And, uh, but, you know, he, he didn't care. He was either going to buy it at the right price or not buy it. And, um, and he was always patient and, and he, uh, he just kind of rinsed and repeated. He bought a fire damaged house. I remember at one point and, you know, he would just uh, 
chugging along and uh he's he's done quite well he still owns a crap ton of real estate in in ohio and uh you know we occasionally catch up and compare notes but, i was gonna ask if you guys are still in touch if you still talk to him or his dad oh yeah yeah uh, not his dad as much um but uh but definitely keep touch with him pretty you know as regular as you get when you're, you know, this age. Yeah, you got a family, a wife, and some kids, and he's probably in a similar situation. I can understand that. So tell us about your first deal. Like now, you're you're you saw Sean. You're excited about it. You saw you saw Sean's dad. You're getting excited about business, and 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 you wanted to invest. Not a business. You didn't want to turn into a business yet. Yeah. You wanted to just invest for a return. So tell my, us about that. My first, first deal really was a house hack. I mean, that was kind of before we even called it that it was like, yep. you know, how can I afford um, to, to get in the game? So I, I mean, I, I used an FHA loan. I, I had visions of being Sean's dad and buying a foreclosure and, you know, fixing it up. And then I realized, when am I going to do this with a full-time job? And, and I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't understand like what you guys did. I didn't know what a hard money lender was and, and all that back in that time frame. So I ended up, I looked at a lot of foreclosures and I ended up buying a, just a, a move-in property. I used an FHA loan. Um, I had a, a roommate, uh, I had, you know, roommates, cause you know, you, I didn't take a course on that. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, you know, I had a little house It had a separate basement entrance. Um, and, uh, and, and that worked well. Um, and my plan at that point was at some point, you know, I bought my first property, I was going to save up and get my next property and just kind of move, you know, laterally, not move yeah. up in value, but find good, good houses, good areas that I could rent to to cover the costs. And that was kind of my plan over, you, you know, I kind of had this vision of 12, for whatever reason, like I knew I could get up to 10 loans at that time. And by the time I got to later ones, I was thinking I could, I could pay off the earlier ones. So I could get up to maybe 12. And, uh, you know, that seemed like, enough rent that that would equate to my my corporate salary and oh. that that was my big scientific plan back there um <laughs> the second one was i met my wife um and we rented out my house and we bought a new one for us so that was house number two house number three was okay i've got the uh the the, the crappy little dot matrix printer business card that says mike's a real estate investor now and I uh, started going to, you know, I went to seminars and uh, I bought a triplex, which um, taught me a lesson in property management or my lack thereof. Um, but that was, a, it was a good, we learned a lot on that property. Uh, that property got us into the, the next little HUD house that we bought and then another HUD house after that. And uh, we were kind of doing BRRRs effectively is what, you know, we didn't have that lingo back then too, but you bought it, you fix it up and then, you know, you, you put a permanent loan on it. Um, and I still, I, I've gotten rid of that triplex. I still have house number two and house number three. Um, still have them. They're good house. That's crazy. Um, still That's have cool. the first house I bought to, to, to live in. Um, and, uh, you know, they've been, they're good assets. They keep paying us, um, you know, and, uh, Anyway, eventually I, I learned wholesaling and fix and flipping and okay, I didn't learn fix and flipping. I learned to buy and wholesale and wholetail. And then when my, my wife joined me um, and especially after we got into the recession, my wife really dialed in 
the you know the actual construction management and the and the fix and flip process and and uh, she really she built a hell of a machine there like we had probably fifteen to 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 twenty fix and flips in the pipeline at at you know at times when we when we scaled up and and that was it was amazing to see that happen like I was just like okay if I can buy more you can handle it okay. So yeah, I remember you telling me that. No, our uh, our stories are rather similar. My first one was FHA also. Okay. And then 2001, right before 9-11. And then, well, earlier in that year. But And then I moved out of it and kept it. And I had roommates. And I did the whole the whole thing just, just like you did. And that's pretty crazy that that's how we got going. <laughs> I never really got into the fix and flips like you did. Um, managing contractors was challenging for me. Um, sounds like maybe for you too, but then your wife took it over. I, so how I did you wouldn't have done it. I mean, honestly, I'd have just been a wholesaler and a wholetailer um, because I love the thrill of the chase. And yeah, and me too. For me, I, I love the, the challenge of marketing to find the right opportunities and be you know, the sales process of it, like kind of doing the problem solving with the seller and trying to find the best solution. And, you know, I, I was only a flipper to, you know, afford my buy and hold habit. Like it, it wasn't, I, I wanted to do one. I like, I had to do one to have, you know, to afford the marketing effectively all my, my flips generated, you know, earned income, the earned income had the expense of marketing that fueled the acquisition of the buy and holds and the creative finance, which I know you did a lot of as well. Um, so any, anyway, that worked well. And, and, you know, we, I, I would try to hold as many as I possibly could. And uh, anyway, that worked out. <laughs> yeah, what's your, uh, cause you, you have held a lot. I can't believe you still have your first couple of houses. I, I had to liquidate everything when I went through 2008, that like, destroyed my portfolio so that's impressive that you went through that and well it came it, out 2008 was you know i mean you know what i learned was equity is kind of irrelevant and and um you know cash flow is is kind of what keeps you alive um we we probably had i had 78 houses in 2008 and they all lost 20 25 percent yeah, by the crazy. by the end of 2008 and i you know we couldn't sell them i mean the majority of them we couldn't sell them and break even so it was you know brace yourself dig your nails in and hang on and um you know we we did well my wife you know managed the the rental portfolio with with one assistant um and you know ultimately it was kind of funny i i i had this bizarre moment i was down in phoenix um in scottsdale hiking camelback mountain with a friend and I'll, I'll never forget this moment because it was just kind of one of those gut reactions he's like we were in a mastermind at one point together and i was down there for a seminar and we ended up just hanging out and doing some hiking and he's like he knew how many houses i had and i think we're probably around 2010 at this point so you, you know we kind of settled in to the mm -hmm. to the recession um and we were fixing and flipping a lot of stuff, but he's like, "Hey, had had you uh, thought about what your you know what what's your net worth right now?" And just knee jerk reaction, I just said, uh, "Probably nothing." <laughs> and you know, we had all these assets, you know, seventy eight houses, and uh, you know, probably the equity was still break even, 
you know, after a couple of years. And I mean, we, our values really just kind of bounced along the bottom for probably till around 2012, we started seeing the uptick again, but by still having those houses and having those loans were that much older, um, you know, the loans had paid down. And then when the market started upticking, we just had this huge point of leverage that we had all these assets, you, you know, like if you had, you know, any assets in Denver or the front range and, you know, in 2012, like the ride from 2000, the last 11 years has just been like astronomical. Um, and, you know, rents were pretty stagnant during the down market and then they started going up and it really, it, I, I'm not saying it wasn't stress. I mean, it was, it was incredibly stressful, but a lot of lessons learned because it's, it's not the equity that really mattered. It was, um, it was the cash flow to support the assets and eventually, you know, the assets start working for you, you know, for a while you work to acquire the assets and you, and you do what you can to, you, you know, you, you maintain them, you keep them well, you uh, learn management as best as you can to pick the right tenants for your properties. And, and ultimately at some point that right now that the, the, the properties are doing all the hard work for us at this point, like they do everything, you know, the rent, you know, some houses made enough equity through loan amortization and 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 growth to pay off other houses and and now we need you know at one point i think it was somewhere between 135 and 155 houses you know we had under the full tent between what we managed what i had in my ira and another partnership i created with uh you know another you know student i i mean i i hesitate to even call him a student yes he was a student of mine but he's he's a you know very good investor on his own right and and i just you know happened to catch him at the at the start of that ride but um but you know he was good at the business we built a whole uh you know a, my wife told me at one point after i think about 102 houses she's like you're done i don't want to remember you telling me that i don't yeah. want to scale it so you know deal junkie here is like well how can i so i started figuring out how to do these creative deals with my ira and then assign them to people that were good managers they, they would basically own it my ira would have a lien um, for an equity position in the property. And then when I deployed all my IRA money, then I said, okay, now what? So then I created a partnership with somebody and we, uh, we built up another 32, 33 houses in that partnership. Easy. So you're still at it. I mean, well, that, that partnership we've dissolved, you know, he took his profits. I took my profits. We paid off our, our own portfolio assets. Um, the IRA stuff I've had some turn and, and, I, I mean, mostly now I'm a passive investor. Um, I like to, via ideas and, 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 and training, complicate the lives of the younger folks that are trying to grow their portfolio. <laughs> and they have know, the energy. Usually uh, involve my, myself or my IRA in one of the transactions if they, if they need some capital. But uh, I try to teach people how to do it on their own. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's been a fun ride. And uh, I, I'm I'm still a recovering deal junkie. Like I I, I still yeah. struggle that I I just I love the thrill of the chase and and the negotiations and and all that stuff. And uh, uh, I do miss the regularity of of how operations used to be. <laughs> yeah, and just building those systems and everything. I know you really enjoy that. I would love to go into some case studies and some deals, but 
Not sure we're going to have the time on this one for that. I, I want to get into the education side because you're so good at that. And you even mentioned your student and how you've created this partnership and you had over 30 houses with this one student. So he, he wouldn't have came to you. You wouldn't have met if you weren't training other investors. So tell us a little bit about the training side of your career. I had, you know, just somebody, and I, and I would call him a mentor, but it was basically just but, you know, a lot of people I would say are mentors or just books or courses I've taken, and I may not have ever really met them personally, but they have an impact on me. And, and, and one of those mentors, you know, said, you know, if you ever get the opportunity to teach, you should, because you will learn so much more by teaching it to others. And, and I would say that proved to, to me, that proved incredibly beneficial. Um, I... I had to learn how to articulate what I was doing to others so they could replicate it. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, why do I do that? You know, like, have you ever heard the Zig Ziglar story where he's talking about the, the woman who cut the ends of the ham off? Um, and then she taught her daughter to cut the ends of the ham off. And at some point, somebody's like, why do you cut the ends of the ham off? I'm like, well, that's what my mom taught me to do. And well, mom, what did you do? Why did you do that? Well, that's what your grandma taught me to do. Well, grandma, why did you do that? Well, I only had a pan this big. Yeah, like, exactly. you, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they just did it because, you know, that's what they learned. But you, why? Why do you do those things is is kind of important. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I got asked to speak at the the real estate association that I that I learned from. And it was awesome. And I got to go there and they're like, hey, Mike, you're doing really good at, um, you know, wholesaling and subject to would you come talk on those two topics at a night meeting? So I went and. Uh, you know, I, I learned from a marketing standpoint, get their attention first. So I had all these copies of, of checks that I've gotten from wholesaling. So I asked for a volunteer and I've got the volunteer up front and, you know, and I said, do you want to read these out for the crowd? You know, and like I had photocopies of all these checks and they just start reading and reading and reading. It was like, okay, I got their attention. So we, we didn't really cover subject two. We just ended up spending the whole night talking about wholesaling. And I got mobbed after that with people like, hey, do you mend? I didn't have a course, I didn't do anything. I wasn't there to try to sell anybody on anything other than this is real. You know, this business is real if you treat it like a business. And I kind of got mobbed. And I had several people that like, will you mentor me? Will you mentor me? And I'm like, okay, is the world trying to tell me something? So that's how it started. And I said, okay. So um, <laughs> I just had the first group of people come to my house. I mentored them around my dining room table and I created the course as we went along, you know, from, okay, here's where we're all going to start everybody. And this is what I need you to do for homework this week. And, and anyway, it went, uh, I, I kind of did a whole mentoring program. I think that was around 2005, all the way to probably at least 2010, 2011, you know, and then at that point, um, the fix and flips were going crazy. The, the education was going crazy. And I, and I was going crazy as a result. Like I wasn't doing either at my full potential. So I, uh, I, I wanted to focus on our family business, which is our real estate. And, and it was tough, like, cause I really love teaching. And that eventually led to a meetup group because then I'm like, okay, when I'm there, I'm there, but I don't have to 
you know, I don't have to be there. Like I have an, uh, uh, a good friend down here who helps me run the meetup. So when I'm on trips and doing what I need to do, it still goes on without me. And then when I'm there, I can be involved. And, uh, and I, I still like to train. I don't charge anybody. It's free. Just show up. Like, like I mean, I and, and by the way, hats off to you for like actually being very incredibly organized and doing the, the big conferences that you do every year. Like that takes a heck of a lot of effort to pull those off and you make it look easy and and anyway i don't do it no <laughs> see that's why you're good you're good at what you do because you can delegate i'm not good at that was that um was that association was that carrie mm -hmm. so that was bill bronchick's it's crazy because that's how i got started too so i wonder i bet you we crossed paths at some point didn't even probably i probably saw that presentation <laughs> i might have been one of the guys mopping you who knows the real estate educators podcast is brought to you by pine financial group pine financial group is a private lender specializing in value add bridge lending for real estate investors this is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short-term real estate loans Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right. You can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. So you did the uh, you did the mentorship. Now you start your meetup. So this is open to anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's down in Colorado Springs. Where, where, where do we get more information on that? Or what's it called? Uh, it's just it uh, the acronym for Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Club, csreic.com. We'll take you right to our meetup page. It's free to join. It used to be just local people. That was it. Um, but we've got almost 3,000 people on there. And during COVID, COVID shut down all the live meetings. So we went to Zoom, and now we have people from you know, all over the U.S. that join our Zooms every, uh, every Tuesday morning. Um, on zoom then thursdays we do a live one at an actual coffee shop uh where we can kind of get around we get different people some are crossovers but uh it's fun it's not you know nothing sold nothing um it's just uh, open q a what's going on what do you need help with you know and uh you know it was really cool like the other day like you know well just yesterday was th uh it was thursday and we had a little uh young 18 year old young man showed up and he's like i want to do this what can I do? He's like, anything you need done. And uh, anyway, he got a lot of great advice. And oh, I love that. Like, God, I wish I had, you know, had this at 18, you know. Can like, you imagine? Yeah. I was pretty young. I was 21. I know. Um, you were crazy young, like doing all kind, like tons of deals at 21. Yeah. That's yeah. so awesome. It was, it was, it was a fun ride, but you know, I was so overly aggressive. So we talked about a little bit about 2008, but man, you said lessons. There's no question about that. It was <laughs> one of those things you learn from experience and we'll never see a time like that again. Um, I don't think, but you had the, really the perfect storm in 10, 11, 12, like you were describing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I bet you really beefed up your portfolio in that time. I, I would say Eight, like nine and 10 were, you know, kind of disaster mitigation. 
you know, like, yeah, that's fair. Like I didn't, I didn't buy and hold much in nine and 10. Um, it was more like, you know, keeping a grip on the, 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 the houses that we had. Um, 11, I started doing some marketing again, um, and started doing, um, you know, started doing buy and hold deals again. Um, 2012, I joined a mastermind group and, you know, we kind of had like, because we had all these houses, we had, um, you know, a crap ton of depreciation. So that depreciation carried over to our S corp where we did all our flipping and we could, you know, we had our flip volume here to basically maximize, you know, we had normal business deductions, then we had our depreciation and we maximize our fix and flips to basically come in underneath that, uh, that depreciation threshold. So we, you know, we did, you know, 20, 20 or so fix and flips a year, everything else I just wholesaled off. Um, and you know, we were in the zero tax bracket because the depreciation was so large that it, it just offset all those gains. And, and it was fantastic because right around that time frame, I could take my old corporate IRA traditional and I rolled it over to a Roth. And because I was in the tax zero tax bracket, I didn't have to pay the tax to convert to Roth. So around 2011, I started buying again and Lori's like, I've got 102, you're done. So then I started doing the the Roth IRA stuff, and I would uh, like as, like as a like one little case study. Uh, found a little house in Security Widefield, um, little three bedroom, one bath, detached garage. I I found it, uh, negotiated it to buy it subject to. They needed two thousand moving money. My IRA went to contract. My IRA put up to two thousand dollars, and then I signed it uh, to a friend of mine, Russ, and Russ owned the property. Uh, and it just came with a lien from my IRA. And I don't know, maybe seven years later, we sold the house and my IRA got paid back 70-ish thousand dollars. So my 2000, it turned into $70,000 and went directly into my Roth IRA. And you didn't have any effort. Like you found the deal. So there's no, it's you know, not I, no I, effort, I, but I, I mean, it, once you structured it, it was hands off though. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I, I didn't, I just put the deal together and assigned it effectively with a lien. Um, and then um, anyway, that, that model worked well. So I did quite a few of those where my, I, I just involved, like actually the next one, Russ brought me a deal. So he found it and then I put the money in and uh, I did quite a few with him. And then I kind of, you know, vetted a few other investors and then, um, Anyway, those most of those have run their course, and I've had uh, you know another uh, local investors I've done some deals with, and you know some of those are still active. Some have run their course, and you know some of that I've kind of put back into like some commercial assets at this point. Uh, just you know, it, it honestly it's it's been a hot market. It's been harder to find creative yeah. finance deals, but uh, they're they're still there, just not the volume that we had, you know at at the recession. Like it was just like you know fish in a barrel. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I, it was amazing. I was hurt starting in 2007. So by the time 10 came around, I was ready to buy. So we started buying in 10 and yeah. man, I never see that again. You, you seem to have recovered well. I did okay. <laughs> I did okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I keep hearing people tell me um, the recession's here, the recession's coming. It's going to be worse in 08. Uh, 
obviously I don't agree with that, but what do you, what do you think when you hear that? Um, you know, I, in 2006, I went to a seminar by, uh, Jack Miller and John Shaw, and it was called the subprime meltdown. And I want you to keep in mind, this was October, 2006. The subprime meltdown had not happened. Oh, okay. So I got a hell of a warning and a playbook. And I was still kind of like, you know, I, everybody knew back then what was going on in Florida and, you know, the coastal towns and like, like Southern California, Florida, like it was booming. And, you know, I was like, you know, we just had about 5% appreciation a year. We were just kind of oozing along, nothing crazy. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to be that bad here. And I was way wrong. I was way wrong. So I, you know, in 2018, I, I paused, you know, I really slowed things down. I turned off marketing. Um, and I just, you know, at, at one point, like marketing was our biz biggest expense and I trimmed that. And by not, by trimming that, you don't need to do fix and flips. You don't need to do this. So we've just kind of been in management mode. Um, but what, what happened in 2020, you know, I was at a mastermind group in San Diego or La Jolla right when COVID was happening. And we literally were not sure we were going to be able to f book a flight and get out of there. And we were, we, I mean, the whole topic of the mastermind went immediately to disaster recovery. Like, how do we cut costs? How do we do this? How do we blah, blah, blah. And by the way, is anybody going to get a rental car so we can drive home somehow? <laughs> like that, it was that, that crazy. And, and what happened? It was like two weeks of panic and then the best thing that ever happened to real estate, I mean, if you owned real estate, it was just like, this doesn't make any sense. And, and if, if the only point I'm trying to make is, who knows? Are we going to have a recession? Maybe. Is it going to be a real estate recession? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, clearly we're seeing there's some significant problems with office real estate and, and debt you know, commercial debt that has a reset. This is going to be a problem. Is it going to be a problem that filters down to enough bank? Like what happened in 08 was a, uh, I, I mean, the stock market tanked because of the volume of subprime loans that were securitized and, and sold off. And it, it basically took down uh, the, the, the major investment banks and therefore created a massive, not only a massive recession, but a real estate recession. And there's a huge difference between a, a recession in the market and a real estate recession. The last real real estate recession was what? The SNL crisis, which right. I lived through, but I, I don't have any recollection of that. I wasn't in business. I was like a, a teenager. So um, you, we will have it again. I, I'm certain of it. Is it going to be this one? I don't know. Brace yourself, be prepared, you know, and and don't be overly optimistic like I was in 2008. You know, just because you haven't lit, like, and the problem is a lot of like, you and I have the scars, <laughs> but like, if you go on YouTube or you go on a lot of these quote educators, none of them out there that are big names, they're teaching people, like how many have actually been through a 2008? Like very few. <laughs> so yeah. be careful who you get advice from is all I'm saying and be prepared for the worst. Um, but be okay if things keep going. Like, you know, where I, I, I think the lessons I learned were 
short-term debt is bad. <laughs> you know, because if if you like, what's going to take down office buildings? It's it's not the fact that it's it's rented. It's not rented. It's when a loan comes due, and there's a reset, and the bank won't give you a new loan. Because by their definition, like in, in, in the middle of this recession, the best buy opportunity possible, high FICO, you know, didn't, didn't matter your credit situation, didn't matter your reserves, they weren't lending on it. So, you, you know, you, you had to do alternative financing to acquire assets. And that's not going to exist in the commercial, sp in the commercial space. So I, I don't know. Um, uh, it'll be interesting. I think if it, if it filters down to the residential world, I will probably not complicate my wife's life, but I will probably be, uh, you know, blow the dust off and and go do do some deals and and find some other partners that I can, you know, you can't resist, can you? Yeah, no, I know. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so uh, our listeners are both real estate investors and influencers. So a lot of times they'll listen just to get some advice, like how do I start a podcast? How do I start a meetup? What do, what should I be doing? So what what piece of advice here before we close out would you give someone who wants to start a group like you've done? To start, you know, with the goal of providing value. Like somebody was at mine the other day, and they're trying to create some networking build, uh, uh, meetings, um, and and I said. You know, you sent me an email for your networking event. I said, and I promptly said, I'll get back to that. And I forgot about it. I said, just be efficient, spend 90 bucks, get on meetup. It'll, it will automatically remind everybody multiple times that you've got a meeting. You know, it's a, a place that you can delegate without having an employee and like, just start, like start with the goal of providing value to build your network. If you don't even get into the education space, but you build your network, that's the important thing. Like I, I you know, I was, a, I'm a, when I'm not talking about real estate, I'm wildly introverted. And, um, you know, me running the group was an introvert's way of, if I'm in the front, people will meet me, whether I'm able to go start up a conversation with a stranger or not. You know, something I'll say, um by by teaching will resonate and and that's ultimately by teaching uh by being a person who hosted a networking group that's where i got private lenders that's where i got deal partners that's where like whatever thing i needed at that time in my business i taught about it or showed examples and by like when i needed private money i talked about how we use private money in our business I mean, it, it's simple as that. And like invariably, there'd be a line at the end of the meeting when it's all over. And there's always the people who are like, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Hey, Mike, uh, you know, I've got a couple of bucks. Could you use it? And I'm like, mm, uh, let me see if I can get you on the roster. You know, we'll see. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, be a person of value, be a person of integrity, teach with your heart um, and and give, you know, give first. It's It's like, it's like anything. Don't be prepared to like, oh, I'm going to start a meetup group and I'm going to get millions of dollars for the private capital. You're going to have to give and give and give and give and give and help other people. But ultimately, the long run is it's just like 
the low equity houses I bought subject to. There wasn't much meat on the bone when I bought them, but over years, that's why I was able to retire in my 40s, like because of, you know, the nurturing. You know, you nurture it along long enough, it'll take care of you. And and at a meeting, a networking group is is like that. You nurture it, you help other people, and and ultimately it will it'll run its course and it'll take care of you in in, in ways you won't even realize now. So many fantastic nuggets in there. I, I love the introvert comments because I'm the same way and I found it far easier. I started with Toastmasters and just trying to get comfortable in front of a room and then get in front of the room. And it's much easier to network when everyone knows you already. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that. I love the giving back and providing value first and give, give, give. I found the exact same. In fact, Mike, when I was starting Pine, this was in 2008, I was desperate for money. I was losing everything, right? I was so focused on the commission and the points I was charging and just closing deals. I was focused on me and it was, it was a tough go. Once I could figure out to shift that focus, like how do I help my client make money? And I started helping people make money. I started making a lot more money. So there's something really true about focusing on your client, your student, for sure. Great nuggets. It's Zig Ziglar. I mean, the quote that drove my business, and and I mean, it's not just me. It's it's you can get anything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Like you're not that first to say that. It's like so the true. best business quote of all time, and it, it's you. Your customer is first. You know who you serve comes. You have to solve their business problem, and by doing that, by solving their problems you'll, you know, you'll be taken care of. I mean, ultimately. 100% agree. And creating that community. So speaking of serve, how can we serve you, man? What, what do you need? Uh, dude, like, I mean, you can come to my meetup if you want. I'd love, like, if I can, if you let me help you build your business, that will make my day. Um, you know, I, I like to live vicariously through other people. Um, you know, at some point I, I did kind of realize like, you know, to quote Pete Fortunato, he's like, when you have enough, stop. You know, like, you know, ultimately me buying more real estate and, you know, under the, okay, I still do deals, but I don't do it where we buy and manage it ourselves. That's just going to complicate my life and add more stuff that I don't need to do. It's going to be less trips with my wife, uh, less trips with my, with my son. Um, it's more about you know, freedom at this point, less is more has been my mantra pretty much since uh, 2018. But um, uh, anyway, my, you know, I plugged the meetup group. Um, you're, you're welcome to join. There's no cost. Come prepared, ask good questions. And, um, and ultimately those questions will not only serve you, but they'll serve the other folks on the group. And uh, I will try to get a link up. Um, so we'll post this on YouTube and wherever Apple and all that. So we'll try to put the show notes, your link to your meetup. If they want to reach you, are you open to that? Um, sure. I mean, email Mike at swiftresults.com is best. Um, if okay. I'm in, I mean, if I'm not in town, I, 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 you know, I don't expect an immediate response, but if I'm around, I'll, that's, I'll get to you. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, I so appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It's so similar to mine. So it's fun to hear. It's like everyone has their own trials and tribulations or whatever. And, and you, you made it, man. And you're doing great things out there. And I really appreciate you coming on. No worries. Anytime, man. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah. And tell a friend.